You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I always hope this doesn't happen to me, but sometimes it does. And occasionally I meet somebody who knew me in college. They knew me when I was in college. And it's always, uh, there's always a pit in my stomach about this. Because I remember, at least I think I remember what I was like in college. Um, some, some people here knew me in college, right? Some of you did. So now, thank you for, you know, j- the journeying here. I was, uh, like Thursday, anyone cross out the eyes? Um, I was an angsty, rebellious, kind of mean-spirited, uh, uh, certain of myself kind of person, kind of as a way of uh, hiding that I wasn't so certain of myself, you know, uh, wearing women's jeans, being vegan, Showering once a week. I was, uh, <laughs> can you believe it? I know. I knew you in college. I knew you in college. Well, I can't believe I'm getting heckled. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it. Okay, 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 okay. You know, I was, uh, I was rough around the edges that many of my peers in college, this is what, this is what happens, they, they're surprised that I became a pastor. This is, the big, this is a big surprise for them. And sometimes they meet somebody who, uh, like they, they meet somebody whose pastor I serve as and they say, wait, he's your pastor? And, the, and the, the, you can't even, they can't even connect it. And then I remember what I was like. And part of me, you know, wants to explain that a lot has happened in those like uh, 16 years since my freshman year of college and that I'm a changed person in many ways. Because it's hard to believe that we'll ever uh, grow differently or develop in the ways that we want. It's hard to imagine what we'll be like in the next 15 years because uh, we aren't always growing in the ways that we want to. Right? It's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to get. It's hard to change. It's hard to grow. Hard to develop. Um, and so it's 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 even embarrassing to kind of make a defense of myself, right? Somebody. Um, and part of me thinks I just don't. I don't think I'll get the benefit of the doubt to people who knew me when I certainly wasn't at my best. Partly because I think I haven't given myself that grace, right? That's, that's, that's what I'm learning, right? That I, I haven't kind of let go of those things, and so why would someone else? I don't know how to move on from kind of who I was to who I am now. Um, someone recently asked me, what arguments, and this is, this is a good thinking activity for all of us, what arguments would you have with your uh, self 15 years ago or so, knowing yourself now? What would, what, would, what, would, what would the older version of yourself argue with the uh, younger version of yourself about? And though we'd have disagreements, I thought, this is, this is, I guess, when I was feeling better 
about myself. I thought, well, maybe I would just encourage my younger self and not tamp down all of that enthusiasm and wildness, which I had, right? Maybe I would just like, you know, because I was rough around the edges. And, and I think, especially with young people, smoothing them out, especially at a young age, isn't that helpful. You know, just let them be who they're going to be when they're 18. Um, and, and it may not, and, and if someone tamped me down too much, I might not have become who I am now. So it's all part of the process, part of the journey. You know, um, I think there's hope for change for all of us. But anxiety about it in the uh, present portends uh, poorly for the future. The key to change for me isn't necessarily progress, it's posture how you're positioned, right? How you shift your posture, how you redirect yourself, and then over time, you'll move in the right direction. So when we think about us changing and we're anxious that we're not moving in the right direction fast enough, think about the posture, you know? And I can say, even when I was uh, kind of a rambunctious 18-year-old, that I thought God was moving my posture a little bit even then, and I was moving in a good direction. That's how it felt like to me, at least looking back. The shifting of posture is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5. Some of you know this by heart, so, so, so this might be very familiar to you. Why don't, read it out loud. Um, someone read it out loud, and if you know it by heart, just use whatever translation is, is, is written on your heart. Otherwise, just read this. Anyone? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Sorry to That's great. That was great. This is, this is a good one. Um... We're going to sit with Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 here until, if you can imagine, until uh, Ash Wednesday, until Lent starts, so for the next several weeks. So, so I ho- I, we'll probably repeat this, uh, we'll probably repeat this uh, passage over and over again. Paul is encouraging us, thank you for reading, Karina, to see each other and ourselves in a new way. See yourself in a new way. Change your mind about yourself. Change your mind about one another. He's asking the Corinthians to think of themselves, each other, in that new way. Not from a worldly point of view, but as, a, as someone who is reconciled to God, as someone who is one with God, as someone who is connected with God. Start thinking of yourself as uh, God's beloved, you might say. Posture shift. He's asking them to stretch their imaginations and not be uh, condemned by how the world sees things. We really do need to have a new way of seeing the whole world. We really do. It is hard to imagine a better world. You know how hard it was for me to imagine a better version of myself? That's kind of the whole, that's the water we're swimming in. It's hard to imagine a better world because we often receive messages that don't expand our imagination. The possibilities for the world and for us are so limited if we listen to certain voices. Maybe they're the voices in your mind. Maybe they're your parents' voices. Maybe they're your children's voices. 
Maybe um, it's just what you read about in the newspaper. Maybe those are the voices influencing us. Um, it's not, it's, it's in, 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 I think at times there is intent to limit our imagination. Because a, uh, let's say, prophetic imagination would be uh, threatening to how the thing works. There, there is a way that we do things, and this is how we do them. And we all kind of follow the norms of society. I would say generally to decent end, but sometimes to a nefarious end. This is why after the assassination of Qasem Soleimani a few weeks ago, the Iranian commander, we're now hearing about how vital and important it was to do this, right? After the president briefed Congress, the Congress people came out saying, no, this was the absolute right thing to do. You know, we get a strong push of a war propaganda that tells us another world isn't possible. You know, it's hard to believe then that peace is possible unless we're committed to considering each other from a new perspective considering the world from that perspective and dreaming about something that seems impossible. Here's how Nathan Robinson says it, and he's not even a Christian, but he found the basics of our faith by being a peacemaker. Times of war fever can be wearying because there is so much aggression against dissent that resistance wears down. That's why a community is so necessary. You may watch people who previously seemed reasonable develop a pathological bloodlust. Find the people who see clearly and stick close to them. Someday peace will prevail. You know, when I was reading this, again, not a Christian publication, not a Christian dude, just a guy. And I thought, huh, he's talking about how a community is important to seeing the whole world differently. How, how, how we can consider each other in a new way, a new creation, a new humanity, a whole new thing. And I was like, that was encouraging to me, right? You actually see a Christian principle or philosophy right there. That was really helpful. Find the people who have a new way of seeing things and stick to them. Those are the new creation people, the new humanity people, the new humans, you might say. In our tradition, that mark of that new turn, that new citizenship, that mark of turning is baptism. Baptism in our tradition means that you publicly declare your allegiance to Jesus. You declare that Jesus is Lord. And that's when you start, you're reconciling to God and then following God. That's how John the Baptist started doing baptism. We still have our Advent uh, banners up. And you see John the Baptist is the second one over there. The one with the belt. (laughs) When John the Baptist was doing baptisms at the start of the Gospel of Matthew, he was baptizing people in water for repentance so that they could uh, be prepared for the coming of the kingdom of heaven ushered in by Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was fulfilling the words of Isaiah, preparing a new way for the inauguration of the Lord, a new way of, uh, of following and being. Then Jesus approaches the scene. Jesus, who John says, will baptize people with fire 
and baptizes greater than John himself does, and then Jesus asks to get baptized. Let's zoom in on that part in Matthew 3. Someone out loud read these seven verses from Matthew 3. Thank you, Debbie. John recognizes that Jesus is the ultimate baptizer and is startled when Jesus is asking to be baptized. John thinks he needs to be baptized. He's the one that needs repenting. At this point, John even knows that it's unusual for Jesus, this coming Messiah, this coming Messiah that he's made a way for, the one that doesn't seem to need repentance to get baptized. So what's the deal? Why is this happening? Why is Jesus getting baptized? Baptized is about repentance. Repentance means turning, changing, changing your posture, as we were saying, shifting in another way. Well, why is Jesus doing it? Isn't the whole point that he doesn't need to do that? He does it because it's proper for us, for him and John. Even though when Jesus is being lauded by John at some high level, he humbles himself and, and does ministry with John himself. The story is a reminder that Jesus humbles himself to become like us, to know us. Right? That's, the, that's the miracle in the incarnation is that Jesus becomes human, thus making us holy, enters into our water. To what? That's what it means to fulfill righteousness with us. Righteousness could be translated also as a rectification or justice, all the interchangeable words. Regardless of how you see yourself, you're a co-worker with Christ, and now you can wade with him in the water as Jesus is making all things right, fulfilling righteousness. In his baptism, Jesus fulfills all righteousness, and he repents, in a sense, on behalf of all of Israel, I suppose that's why John didn't need to, that's why um, John didn't need to be baptized. Jesus could have been baptized for John and for all of Israel. While John was calling for people to repent, to usher in the kingdom of God, um, Jesus' baptism was a way, perhaps, of ushering in the whole world into a new era of reconciliation and repentance. Jesus' baptism is then like his impending death which is vicarious to us, we experience it via him, embraced on behalf of others. Jesus models the kind of humility and grace by which the whole new creation 
participates. Does something totally different, right? That's the shift in posture that we're working on. Jesus enters into the waters, right? In a previous age that, dre- that drowned the world and redeems us all. He even redeems the water itself, turning it into a place to wade with God. Not just a place to go get God. They become waters of salvation, not just of repentance. Waters that, that God is in. This concept, this event is so crucial that it gets uh, the uncommon distinction of being named in one way or the other in all the Gospels. It's an important lesson. For Matthew in particular, it's a sign of inclusion and ushering in to all God's people who had sinned and betrayed God. So Jesus' baptism and subsequently his whole life and ministry at its beginning gets the blessing of God in many ways, right? Every, every depiction of it will show the heaven parting and the dove coming down. The heavens part, right? That's the sign of God's deliverance in the Bible. And not even unknown to foreigners, when that happens, God is moving. And then the Spirit of God descends like a dove onto Jesus. And another sign of reconciliation, covenant, a connection, a sign of God. This is not unfamiliar to us, especially if you know the story of uh, Noah and the flood. This time, though, the waters aren't destroying everything. It's redeeming and transforming us. Indication of a new world, a new promise, a new way of doing and being. And then the heavenly voice emerges and declares Jesus as God's son, beloved. Big announcement, heard by everyone conceivably. This is my son. Right? That moment of calling out, of inauguration, of coming in to fulfill. The father calls out the identity of Jesus and subsequently for us, the identity of us when we are baptized into faith. To the Jewish audience listening, the voice of God identifying as Jesus Identifying Jesus as God's son is an indication that rejecting Jesus is rejecting God too. And this announcement occurs right at the moment of Christ's baptism. And I, I, I want to focus on this point. It's only the third chapter in. It's like the first chapter in Matthew where Jesus is a grown-up. And yet the dove comes down before Jesus even really does anything except exist and then get baptized and declares that Jesus is Lord. Declaring that we'll regard one another as new. That's what it means to be faithful. That posture change that Jesus engages in. That's all that it takes for God to make the announcement. And so for us too, Big accomplishment when you say, this is the direction that I want to move in, right? Saying Jesus is Lord at your baptism is, is, is indicating your direction. That's the moment. That's, that's, you, 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 you don't even need to be particularly successful after that, right? That's the big shift in posture. That's the intention. That's what counts. Baptism is a known in public action. 
one inaugurates herself into a new era of following. This is the, the, the great moment that Jesus is modeling at the beginning of his ministry, the beginning of a new era. He transforms the nature of the, the, very, the very fabric of our being, who we are, and changes us into something more. We can dwell with God. His baptism meant something to all of us, too. We can all participate because we are the people for whom it was done. Jesus' shift continues throughout his life and finally into his death, obedient to God, embracing his humility, restoring humanity. Jesus brings who he is into public consciousness in his baptism. And I suppose we'll, I'll leave you there. Here you are, worshiping in a body. You're the, you're the new humanity. You're the new creation. Your posture has shifted. It's kind of radical. It's almost impossible to do. So you have some depth already. You're already moving with God. So I hope this story helps you name that in yourself. Trying to move with God to the point of letting God overtake who you are and what you mean. right? Start by saying, no, I, I am the follower of God. I'm a servant of God. That's what I'm doing. Jesus is Lord. Hear that voice in your head calling you God's child, God's beloved. It is really hard to hear it, though, I have to say. I want you to hear it, and I want you to utter it. But it's hard to hear it, because so many things drown it out, don't they? When I first came to faith, this was, I guess, even before college, I was so worried that when I got to heaven, God wouldn't tell me he was well-pleased with me, that God wouldn't say he's well, that, that I'm beloved, I'm the son. I didn't think I'd get that refrain. Because, you know, what kind of ludicrous God would think that, right? I mean, that's the thought that I have. Because my earthly father never said that in a memorable way to me. And then there's all this father, I mean, Jesus is saying father, and there's all this father imagery in the Bible. And I'm like, well, hey, I don't know if I'm going to get that from, especially this kind of a father-style God that keeps coming up. Can't imagine my heavenly father saying that. You know, dad had a hard time calling out the best in me. You know, it's, and, and these days it's hard for me not to feel bad for him and kind of pity him for, not, for, for having such a limitation with me. But it feels bad for me too. You know, I haven't forgotten that. You know, it's still kind of a, the backhanded compliments that I get that, that still sting, that still hurt, and that make it really hard to uh, accept God's love of me, right? To be baptized and say, and hear this voice back at me, and then be able to pull it up again and actually, actually live into it, right? Like my self-consciousness led you in the beginning when I was worried about if you ever met me in college, what would happen, right? And that, that kind of, that, that, I guess the re, one of the reasons that's there is because of this uh, fraught relationship. You know, some of you know I, uh, I pride myself on uh, the things that I cook. And I remember I made my dad a meal once. And at the end of it, he says to me, and I have to smile when I say this so I don't cry. He says to me, it was pretty good. Maybe you'll be a good cook in 10 years. You know, just like, Phew. 
It's like, wow. And so that's why I kind of have to, I kind of have to laugh at that because I'm just thinking, you just can't do it. You can't get it out, can you? You know, so that's why, that's why I, I struggle with it now, right? It takes a long time to rewrite that script, doesn't it? That God is pleased with me. You know, it took me, it took me a long time that I, that, 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 um, for me to believe I could be someone else, you know? You know, like, like literally, I still think back at being a jackass in college, and I'm still embarrassed about it today and about who I am now, right? That's still a live thing within me. So it's, it's a, it's, I can relate if, if, if this isn't that easy for you too, right? It's really hard to do it, you know? So, so what are you facing right now? What can't you let go of? What's making it hard for you to make a shift? Could be any number of things. You know, personal, relational, political. Um, that little barrier, or big barrier, I should say, that, that, that I had that kept me from turning towards God and embracing my new self, that was real. You know, I kind of thought I needed to get baptized every day of my life in order to be with God. It took some love, right? It took community like Nathan Robinson saying earlier, this body is a new chance at family. It takes courage to break out of that. You know, and I have to name myself, name to myself that, that, that every, that fact, every day the world tries to pull me in one direction or another, right? Just repeat the mantra. That's at least one basic strategy for staying in the new posture. So tonight, just, just note the barriers that you have that keep you from being named as God's beloved. Maybe there is something in your way, a reason you're afraid to, uh, to move in a new direction or to, or to be, even see yourself as having done that. That's okay if that's where you are. You're okay where you are. But when you're ready, see if you can change postures a little bit and actually believe that you did it. You know, be baptized again. God's with you, and you're with God. Let's pray and then do some talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for being present and faithful to us. May we remember that we are your beloved, even when um, the voices within us and outside of us are, are making that hard to believe. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.